I knew how to write. I knew how to sell. I knew what content was supposed to be. I knew about my ideal client, all this kind of stuff. Yet it still wasn't clicking for me. Why wasn't it clicking? Because I had no clue. I had no belief in myself. My mindset was totally messed up. I was running on ego. My subconscious beliefs were blocking everything that I wanted. And I just, I didn't know how to actually get my mental space and my mindset working with me instead of against me. This is for the others out there, the other ambitious people who want to play at a higher level in their life. It's time to get curious and get real. Join me and together, let's find the others. Hey, everybody, welcome back to another episode of Find the Others podcast. I am your host, Joshua Church. Grateful to have you with us. New episodes are dropping every Wednesday and Sunday, so be sure to hit the subscribe button so that you can get the notification when a new episode comes out. And give me a follow on Instagram at Joshua Dean Church to catch different clips and highlights that I post. Also, if you're enjoying the podcast, you find something that might be valuable, please be sure to share it with a friend who also might be into it so that together we can continue to grow our tribe of others. Today, I'm pumped to bring you a conversation I had with Gavin McHale. As a kinesiology graduate, Gavin followed all the rules. He got himself a good job, gained experience, and launched his own personal training business in 2012. He quickly realized that following the traditional business model would lead to trading more time for more money. So he went out and found a better way. Over the course of four years and tens of thousands of dollars invested later, Gavin was able to build a six-figure hybrid training business before founding the Maverick Coaching Academy in 2019. In the past 18 months, Gavin has left the gym and gone all in on helping other personal trainers build their hybrid businesses. Along the way, he's learned more about himself than ever before and is on a mission to fix the broken fitness industry and connect other amazing humans to the highest version of themselves. We talked all about his hockey career, getting into this, getting out of his comfort zone to go off on his own, and how to stay committed to the process along with his ingredients for growth. Give him a follow on Instagram at GavinMikhail1 and check out his podcast, The Coach's Playground. The link is in the show notes. Without further ado, I introduce you to Gavin McHale. Gavin in the building. What's up, my friend? Oh, man, I'm just uh, I'm just honored to be here. Just honored to be here. So good. Very, very happy to uh, happy to have you here. Um, you uh, staying uh, staying sane out there? You guys still locked down up in Canada? Full on lockdown, stay at home orders, the whole thing. Uh, we had said we wanted this to be in person. I know, I know, we'll do a part two in person, but yeah, right, right now it's a little tight. I'm pretty much like. Just the fact that I'm breathing is almost illegal right now where I am. So, you know, it's like the next order that they're going to put in place is going to be just hold your breath as long as you can every day. That's what we've decided. Yeah, they'd, uh, there'd be crazier things that have happened in these past couple exactly. of years. Exactly. <laughs> That's awesome. Well, man, I'm, I'm pumped to have you on and to, to dive into conversation. Um, 
when I when you had me as a guest on your podcast, that was just such an electric conversation. I mean, I know I certainly walked away feeling really lit up. I know you did as well. So um, no pressure here. <laughs> we, we've but, talked we've talked every week since. So yeah, I think, you're I right. Think it was pretty good. <laughs> you're right. That's pretty good. Pretty good. Um, so I see that hockey jersey hanging in the back over there. Yes, this is this is a big part of your story, being a hockey player, huh? Yeah, um, it's it's where the story starts. It's where a lot of lessons were learned that I learned um, after the fact. Unfortunately, I think as we all do as athletes, we don't necessarily learn them when we're in it. Uh, but yeah, how how deep do you want me to go? Dude, off the deep end, like okay. cannonball off the deep end. <laughs> Send it. Um, Send it. Yeah. So I, uh, this is the, the, the interesting part for me is, I mean, I'm a Canadian kid, so hockey, you would think it's just going to come to me and, uh, but neither of my parents played. So, uh, it was kind of a new thing. I played soccer and then me and one of my, me and one of my best buddies would just like play mini sticks, mini hockey all the time, play street hockey, you know? And his dad turned out to be the coach for the, for the, you know, the community club team. So he's like, Hey, why don't you have Gav come out and just test it out? My parents were worried about the violence. Mm -hmm. And, um, so I went out, I was like seven years old. Most of the kids have been playing a whole bunch and, and, uh, I was pretty horrendous. Uh, I was real bad. And, um, that was kind of like that I think should have been a sign, but of course didn't see it at the time that like, I didn't really love doing things that I wasn't good at. So shifted over and tried playing goalie. Um, and what do you know it, uh, I was really good at it. And I think this is kind of the part where my identity started to come was like, I got really good feedback from my parents, really good feedback from other adults good feedback from my friends. I mean, I was finally accepted into like mm -hmm. into these groups as, as a, as a, a cool kid. Cause I could play hockey. That was, that was my thing. Right. Um, and then of course, you know, as I got older, it didn't hurt with, uh, with the girls. So, yeah. <laughs> uh, and that's all that matters when you're 14 is like, do girls care about this? Will this help my chances? If yes, I'll do it. That's right. <laughs> I think I'm thinking of, um, uh, from miracle. Why do you play hockey? The girls, of course, yeah, of course, that's, <laughs> that's the only reason. Yeah. Um, and, and yeah, so it kind of like, it became my identity. This became yeah. the thing that I did. And I didn't realize until really recently, some of the work we've been doing that, like, it wasn't even really about the hockey. Mm -hmm. Like, I mean, hockey is a great game, but there are a lot of great games out there. Sports are just an amazing thing, but it was really about what hockey gave me hmm. which was acceptance it was a tribe it was um love for lack of a yeah. better term and and you played hockey at a pretty high level too right yeah i, I ended up i uh, played junior hockey across western canada i played in like on like six teams over four years it's not not a good sign when you get traded that much um i ended up having a couple of seasons in the western hockey league which is like uh, one of the top feeder leagues of the pro leagues. So I played in Seattle and Lethbridge, which were just super cool experiences. Um, and then I ended up playing two years of uh, Canadian university hockey, uh, college hockey. And then just, it, it was just the time I, I, I was like, this is not for me anymore. So mm. um, yeah, I got, I got to a pretty high level uh, where I really got to see like, 
where my shortcomings were. And I didn't particularly like it. We'll just say that. What do you mean by that? Oh, I mean, we all grow up playing sports and we, you know, we start in our small town or our city, right. And our district and we're hot shit. Right. And so I was like, oh yeah, like I'm really good at this thing. This is awesome. You know, goalie of the year, winning championships, MVPs, Mm -hmm. all these things. And then I get drafted to the Western hockey league and I go out to Seattle and it's like every player, not only in the league, but on our team was the best player from their city. And like in that age group. Yeah. So humbling. It was super humbling. And I did not like being humbled. My ego, I I realized my ego was driving the bus, man. Like my ego was running the show. And so when I started to, for the first time ever have struggle, when I started to like not win every game and not just show up and be the best player on the team, I didn't know how to react. And of course, what does the ego do? The ego starts blaming everybody else. Right. So I would blame my teammates. I would blame my coaches. Um, I would blame, you know, the fact that I had a girlfriend at home or whatever, like, right. You just find something else to blame. And that was really where things started to unravel a little bit was when I got into, you know, talk about small fish in a big pond. Uh, you know, you go from your, your town, playing against kids your age and younger to I was 16 years old in another country. Uh, the high school I was going to, cause I had to go to high school. I was 16 was like 10 times the size of my high school at home. Right. I'm playing against 20 year old men who are drafted to the NHL. And I'm just like in front of five or 10,000 people. I'm like, what is happening? Crazy. Like, at that young age shot. too. And I mean, I was in no way ready for that mentally in no mentally way. physically. Where'd you say you were there? Not Close when I it? first went. Uh, but then I figured that out relatively quick, um, that that was something I had to do when I first went, I was literally like, I think my first training camp, I was six foot five, 140 pounds. Whoa. <laughs> like I, <laughs> I was a rail, like yeah. it was just nothing to me, but, um, you figure that out pretty quick. Cause that's just like, okay, just go do the thing that they've got to work out for you. Right. And eat food. Right. But right. the mental thing is like, especially when I came up, this was 2004, there is no mental health or like talking about the mental side of the game. It was just like, be more confident Gav. Okay. How yeah. do I do that? <laughs> that's great. So it sounds like this must have reached a breaking point. And I mean, in your journey where you, something shifted, something happened, was that a specific moment over time? What was that like? Um, are you talking a breaking point, like with hockey or just with my mindset? That's a good question. Um, I think that I'm curious for both, but I, I would, do they coincide or is they together or was hockey separate than your kind of overall mindset? Yeah. No hockey. I still didn't figure it out, even with the hockey breaking point. <laughs> so, what was the so, hockey breaking point? Let's start there. Um, I mean, it really was. So, I was 18. This was my like second season in Seattle. Uh, I had a girlfriend back home. That was uh, the, that was uh, I was kept hearing from my parents. This is a distraction. It's a distraction, right? Um, and I just I have just I, I had lost focus because I was like. I think what it was, I wasn't good at this thing or wasn't as Mm -hmm. good as I thought I should be. 
and I really wasn't willing to put in the work. So, well, what's the other way? Well, just shut her down, just quit, just say, screw it. I'll just start doing other things, you know? So things were starting to unravel in Seattle and I wasn't playing well. I went into the Christmas break on like a five game losing streak or something. Uh, so what did I do over Christmas? I got shit faced every night. Cause that's what you should do. Right. When you're on a five game mm-hmm. losing streak and you're at home with your friends. Right. Uh, and then I went back and j- it was just after Christmas and I had a, I had had a talk with my coach and he's like, Gav, like we need you here. Like if you're here, we're good. But if you're elsewhere, if you're worrying about mm. other things, you're no good. And I mean, I'm 18. I'm not listening to that. I even actually remember one of our coaches pulling me aside and telling me the story of what a self-fulfilling prophecy was Hmm. about like, Gav, you're mad that you're not playing. So you're not trying hard in practice. What do you think we're supposed to do? Or do you just think we're going to play you because you're not trying hard? Like, and he told me that. And I just remember looking at him like he was an idiot. Hmm. And, um, so anyway, what happens is we, uh, we new year's eve uh seattle and portland had a huge rivalry they played every new year's eve in portland and it was in the old rose garden so where the trailblazers played so like legit you're going in there there's ten thousand people in there and the people in portland back in the day all they wanted was fights like that's all they cared about fights so we're going in and i'm our starting goalie was injured so i'm the guy Uh, It didn't matter that I was playing bad. I'm the guy. Well, I get on the way to the game. I get the news that our call up goalie, who's like 15 years old is going to play. I'm not getting the nod. So 18 year old. Gav handled that well. Yeah. Gav was, Gav was really mature about that. Yeah. So Mm -hmm. I pouted the whole way there. I pouted on the bench. I didn't put in any effort in warm up. and, you know, two periods in that other goalie, He's put in front of this 10,000 people. Portland had a good team. He didn't do very well. So I have to go in. Well, what kind of mindset do you think I'm in now? Right. So I go in, the game's getting a little out of hand because they're beating us. And uh, a a fight breaks out right in front of me. Well, I decided that it was a good move to join said fight, to get myself into there. So there's Mm. like, it's a, it's a whole line brawl breaking out. There's a YouTube video if people want to check it out whole line brawl breaking out. And I'm deciding that I want to join the fight. Little do I know that their six foot four goalie, who's older than me and much stronger than me is beelining it down the ice, ready to take my head off. I get basically turned around helmet pops off and I get a fist right to my nose and my nose just explodes. Uh, little like the crowd's going crazy. I just got, I still remember I had a white stripe on our Jersey and like falling to the ice and the white stripe, just going red with blood and, um, you know, tried to keep in the fight, tried to stick with it, took a couple more. And then just like, that was it. Uh, so I got to call my parents from the bus on new year's Eve, uh, with, uh, two plugs up my nose, uh, saying that I had, you know, gotten a fight and broke my nose and, uh, they had to re-break it when we got back to, to reset it. It's still messed up. And, um, and, and then 10 days later I was traded. Uh, I was traded to, uh, to Lethbridge just like middle of the night, like, Hey, Gav, you're traded, pack your shit. So that was, that was the hockey thing. You think that I, I still remember my dad, 
you know, my dad's an emotional guy and he didn't really know any better and how to deal with this. I, when I called him to say I was traded him saying, Gav, don't fuck this one up too. Mm. And, uh, so, I mean, the only thing that I wanted to do was not fuck it up, but I didn't know, I didn't have the tools. Right. Right. So that, that didn't fix the problem. Um, did your hockey career end soon after that, after that trade? The serious part of it did. Um, so after that season, I, I didn't want to go back to Lethbridge. That was a terrible experience just in and of itself. A number of things, myself taking responsibility, the coaching staff, there was some real problems there. So I decided not to go back, but that meant taking a step down into a lower league. And that's just meant like, you know, the agent decided not to work with me anymore. And the opportunities for pro camps were gone. And just like, that was kind of just the moment where it was like, okay, like this isn't about playing in the NHL anymore. This is probably more just about like playing in college and just yeah. you know, make, making sure that like you can get something out of this experience. Right. Were, were you, were you set on like, did, did you think you were going to play in the NHL? Was that what your aspirations were growing up when you got seriously into it? It's funny. I, yeah, but I think I was deathly afraid of that possibility hmm. because I always remember. So even hockey so popular up here that you can play like senior hockey, which is just basically beer leagues with hitting and they pay you for it here. So like small town teams, farmers will like literally pay you cash to go play for them. Hmm. And I remember like when I would get paid to play, I was so nervous because there was now expectation. They were paying me. Hmm. What, if, what if I played like shit and they still had to hand me that cash afterwards. Right. So I think like I was really, you know, kind of subconsciously very scared of the expectations that would be on me when there was like money changing hands. Yeah. Really interesting. Yeah. So what was your first move after you finally were like, okay, cool hockey. It's time to retire hockey. What do I do now? I know that can be a challenging thing for a lot of athletes who are focusing on something for so long. What was that process like for you? Uh, in reality, I went to the first liquor store and found the first bottle I could. That was, that was part of the process. Mm -hmm. Um, I won't say that I had a drinking problem, but I definitely leaned on that pretty hard, uh, drinking, partying, uh, all the fun things that go along yeah. with that distractions, distractions. Right. I just numbed myself to it. And even like when I realized that, like when I left Lethbridge and I went to the lower league, that was my, like my first priority was making sure that I was at, at hockey games and practices on time. My second priority was how many beers can we drink? How, you know, mm -hmm. how late can we stay up? How much fun can we have? You know, we, man, it was fun, but at the same time, it was, um, it was not very productive. Yeah. Uh, so that would have been the first step. Um, but it was really, um, and it's funny, I was asked this question recently is like, when did I have, you know, you just asked that question, like, wh what was my first step? Well, I was good at school. So I went to school and then I threw all my eggs in that basket because again, like I was leaning on something that I was naturally good at. Mm -hmm. So I'll, I'll jump in on that and I'll get straight A's and I'll be really good at that and I'll get accepted for that. 
Right. So I jumped into school and I just fell in love with the science of like, of like fitness and, and um, biomechanics and all that stuff. And that was kind of like a logical next step. Cause I could, I had trained, I could train athletes. Uh, so that kind of became the next step for me was to just, again, kind of follow the rules and do what I, what I was supposed to do because I was naturally good at it. Yeah. Makes sense. Mm-hmm. So I'm, I'm noticing the thread here around talking about doing these different things really for acceptance. How do you view this idea of acceptance now and this concept of self-acceptance? Thank you for coaching me right now. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, I think, I think the, the biggest thing is like just noticing the patterns when they come up, like, just like, uh, I can't remember who says it, but it's like, notice and name, just like notice the pattern and name it. Like, yep, that's me wanting to be accepted again. You know, so I've been noticing this around my business, around my relationships, around even like the content that we put out on social media is like, I'm not sharing my true feelings. Um, I'm kind of fitting into the mold because I want to be accepted or I'm deathly afraid of, of being left out or of being rejected or of people hating me or not liking me. How could someone not like me? Isn't that a Seinfeld line? How could someone not like you? Right. Um, and so when I look at it and when I really dig into it, yeah, I think it's a matter of the fact that I never really learned to accept myself and I never really learned to, um, lean on my own self-worth and the fact that I'm here and the fact that like I was, I was born means I'm worthy. Mm. You know, I don't have to search for that elsewhere. I don't have to search for that in another place from another human being. I can have that myself and then everything else is going to flow a whole lot better from there. It's really good. I like that. So that, that, that line right there seems like a drastic change from 18 year old Gav <laughs> getting his nose popped on a, in a hockey fight coming in on new year's Eve. How did that, how did that evolution happen? I take it that, that that's, that's quite an enormous evolution, but at least that the beginning part of that, because going off and starting your own business even is a, is a big step. Um, being able to, to view concepts like this is a big step. So how, how, when did the, was there like a light bulb moment? Was there something that happened where you're like, I got to think about things differently. You were led to some sort of work or something like that. Yeah. I think, um, once again, when I started in the fitness industry, it was following the rules. I started by working at the gym that I had trained at. Right. And, and then I worked my way up there and I was ended up, I was working with pro athletes. Like it was, it was, it was a dream come true. Like it was like, I get to work with NHL players. It's my first year out of school. Um, But then there was kind of like, this was the first time that I noticed like a disconnect where I was like, Mm. okay, wait, I'm university educated and I'm literally like in charge of million dollar bodies. Right. And you're paying me 1750 an hour. Hmm. That doesn't jive for me. That, that, like that didn't, something doesn't add up. The math, the math does not check out. <laughs> that didn't sit well for me. And when we went in, so we had this, we call it the dream team. We had this group of like four or five really good coaches that were working that summer. And we went into like the owner, not of the gym. It was like, this gym was in a hockey rink that was owned by like the company that owns our NHL team. So we went into the management and we were like, Hey, like, what the hell? Like, yeah. come on. And they basically said to us, you're all replaceable. 
right. we'll, we'll find someone different if you guys don't want to do it for that price. So we left. And that was the first moment where I think where I really questioned authority and like what society told us we should do. And so I took another job that paid me more. That was a really cool opportunity to, to build a gym within a physiotherapy clinic. I was really interested in like the rehab post rehab side of things. Um, and they were going to pay me more. And then when we built it up, we were going to talk about like a percentage or whatever. And of mm-hmm. course, when we got to the place where I had built it up, I had like 12 clients and like things were running well there was a disconnect again on what they should pay me. I wanted the standard trainer rate of 60, 40. They wanted to give me the standard like physiotherapist rate of like 40, 60, basically. And that was when I really decided that I was going to take a chance on myself. That was like the first time I took a leap of faith. And I said, so I started calling gyms. I called the, the the gyms I had trained at before when I was a kid. I called like gym owners, like people that I knew. I started like really leaning on my, like on, on my network. Mm-hmm. And I found an opportunity where uh, a, a trainer that I had worked with when I was younger um, said, yeah, man, like you can come in, we'll pay you 60, 40. You just use our space. So I was like, okay, I'm leaving. And I, I had no idea if any of my clients would come with me. And um, as soon as I announced that I was leaving out of my 12 clients, 11 of them announced that they were leaving with me. That's great. And the next day uh, I was met by one of the owners with a box at the door, like get the hell out, you know, you're done. Like we were going to do a little bit of a, uh, a period so that I could train up the next hire and all that right. stuff. And they were just, and like, just get said, the nope. hell out of here. get the hell out of here. So that was when like, I really took off on my own business. And that's when I really, I think that was the moment that I really was like, okay, like we're doing this thing. Um, still wildly clueless about a lot of the issues that I had, um, and was still kind of running on this. Like, I always think about it as like, I certainly wasn't conscious I was still unconscious. I was still just existing. I, I was doing some, some cool things. I was taking chances on myself, but I was still really just unconscious. I was certainly not woke at this time. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. And then what yeah. led to the wokeness? When did you wake up? Uh, well, you know this guy pretty well. Uh, I joined my first I joined my first coaching program, like my first business coaching program. Um, I joined John Romanello, uh, mastermind. He's a very well-known name at the time. And he had just done things that I wanted to do. He had a very successful fitness business and he had built it online and a bunch of my friends from the fitness world were in it. So I got this FOMO and I just wanted to do it. I invested $12,000 American and I'm Canadian. Mm -hmm. So that's like $20,000 that I did not have. And the very first um, meetup, uh, I screwed up the dates and I had actually like, I had only booked a place to stay for the first three nights. And the last night I didn't have anywhere to stay. So uh, I kind of got kicked out of the place I was staying at. And, and I said like, Roman, like, do you know if anyone else, like if I can stay somewhere, like I had no money, I didn't know I was in LA. I'm this Canadian kid. I have no idea what I'm doing. Yeah. And he just basically was like, Hey, Gavin doesn't have a place to stay. Can anyone, does anyone have a couch or something? 
and Xander Fryer's hand goes up. No way. I didn't <laughs> that, know that story. I did not yeah. know that's how you and Xander connected. So <laughs> it was like early December at this time. Yeah. And as you know, Xander loves to wear Santa hats. So this weird <laughs> short dude wearing a Santa hat puts his hand up and I'm like, I'm like an egotistical Canadian yeah. hockey bro. I'm like, what is this? Right. So, oh, yeah. So, and this was probably a month or two after he had quit his job. Right. And, right. uh, he was still in that mode of just saying yes, like saying yes to opportunity and the coolest thing happened. So we went out to dinner that night with the whole group and we were chatting and it was great. And then we're on our way home. He's driving me home and, uh, back to his place. And, we're just having this awesome conversation. And he's like, dude, would you mind if I just like put the voice memo on, on my phone and like record this? Cause like, you are like my perfect ideal client. Like, and I'm just going to keep hammering you with questions. So we had this awesome conversation on the way back to his place. Um, we get back and he's like, Hey, here's, here's the couch that you're going to be sleeping on. And I don't know if you remember his apartment from that time, but it was like yeah. pretty small, him and Griffin living together Yeah, in Venice. With, with the big dog yeah, and, um, and his computer was in the living room. That's right. So I'm, it's, you know, I had a couple of drinks, like feeling good, whatever. He's like, okay, I'm going to shut her down. I'm like, okay, cool. I'll go to bed too. I watch some TV or whatever. Uh, and I wake up the next morning and he's, it's 5.00 AM and he's sitting there meditating in the corner. And I'm like, what the hell is this guy doing? Like it, we got home at like midnight. Like, what is he doing? Like I, and I just like turn over. And then when I did end up waking up at like seven, he's like on his computer, he's like grinding it out. Like he's, and, and I'm like, Oh, what are you doing? He's like, well, Roman told us to like, get, get convert kit. So I'm, if Roman told us to do it, I'm just going to do it. And I'm like, you're shifting everything over. Like just like that. He's like, yeah, well, he told us to, so I may as well just take action and do it. And he had this big poster of like the world in front of him and all the places he wanted to go and the million dollar, um, bill. And then I, I went into his room to change and he had a book that he had taken the cover off of and had made his own cover that said, shit, you don't learn in college. Yep. And I was like, holy shit. Like I'm not even I'm not even fucking close. Yeah. Like what am I doing? And that was kind of a real springboard to like what it actually takes and to the next level of actually building a business. And then lo and behold, three years later ended up hiring Xander. And that's when I found out that I still had no idea about like subconscious beliefs and like limiting beliefs and fears and all those types of things. But it was really that like chance sleeping on someone's couch that led to where we are today. That is an awesome story, man. I had no clue. I can't. That is such a great. I, I love it. Of course, I just picture Xander in his hand, Santa hat, just like springing Boom. his hand up, and you're just oh, like, yeah. "Oh no, please, not the dude in the Santa hat, not the dude I'm, in the Santa." Yeah, I'm sitting in the back of the room, like anybody but that guy. <laughs> anybody but that. That is freaking awesome. I love yeah. that. That's great. And uh, and then now, and it's so cool. And I love, I love, I love what you're up to with Maverick coaching and. Um, and really, and we've talked about this previously, but 
not only have you have you grown to be that person that's doing this and empowering other people to do the same but but you the way that i take it you're really shifting the paradigm of the industry entirely can you speak a little bit more about that and about your mission at maverick yeah man i realized pretty quickly uh as i started to grow so i had invested in rome and i invested in another coach i invested in xander and i started to really grow my business i realized that the fitness industry the traditional model, the way it was set up, didn't really work for anybody. So I was sitting here going, again, by societal standards, things are pretty good here. I'm making pretty good money. And when you're self-employed, you want to be busy, right? I was busy. But I had just started dating who Kelly, who's now my wife. And I was like, I think like, I don't think I want to be like having to work more to make more money. I was working with like 15, 20 clients. Like this is good, but like, what happens if I want to work with 30 clients? How is that going to work? Like it's, it's not going to work. Um, and what I've realized since is like, if you look at the stakeholders in the fitness industry, gym owners, I mean, they're there for 15 to 20 hours a day, cleaning toilets. They've to put so much money out up front to buy equipment and pay the, pay the rent and all that stuff. They're not really winning. They're not making a huge amount of money. If you look at the trainer, they're working crazy hours. They're only getting paid for one hour and they're having to like program and check in and do all these extra things. Now they're having to clean for 30 minutes before and after every session. Mm-hmm. And then you look at the other stakeholder, who's the most important one, which is the consumer. They're getting a, a fraction of what they need, right? Because they're paying for someone else's time, not for a result. Right. right. So they're not getting the nutrition unless that trainer is willing to like go outside of like what they're being paid for. They're not getting the accountability. They're not getting the mindset. They're just getting a one hour workout once or twice a week. And then they're going home. Mm-hmm. Right. If you need to lose 10, 20 pounds or you, you know, you want to ha- hit some goal. I mean, I think you and I can both say pretty clearly that one to two hours a week of just like lifting some weights and moving around is not going to do it. Right. So I started realizing this industry is broken. And then I also realized as I was growing my business and able to still travel and do all these things, really good coaches that I respected were asking me how the hell are you doing this? You're a trainer. Why, why do you have a new car? How are you going to Hawaii? How are you going to New Zealand and still making money? And I was like, this is so messed up. The best trainers, the best coaches who are getting like literally changing people's lives can't even buy themselves a new car because they're just run ragged and barely paying the bills. Yeah. And so I was like, I can have a bigger impact than what I'm doing right now, like, which was working with my 20 to 30 clients. I could work with 20 to 30 to hundred to 300 coaches who all have all these clients and I can make a huge impact on this industry. Epic. The ripple effect. The ripple effect. Yeah. Yeah. That's uh, that's pretty cool. And, and so it's been how many years now since you've been, since you've been building this business? I started, uh, well, I started five when, years ago. When, well, with Mavericks, uh, I actually, it was really started just before you and I met in person for the first time, which was, um, summer, fall 2019. Right. Right. So it's been, it's been almost two years now that we've been doing that, but then 
um, <clears throat> the universe gave me a really good sign that it was time to start really diving in when COVID hit every one of my in-person clients who was in the like 50 to 65 range was like, no, nah, we'll wait this out. I don't really need to go online. And I was left with a few online clients and this fledgling business that was coming up, this, this, this business coaching type thing that I didn't really know what it was. And there was a whole mess of trainers who had no idea what to do. Right. And I was like, well, there's my sign. I'm going to go all in on this. And you took advantage of that opportunity. Mm -hmm. Now, mm -hmm. t t tell me a little bit about a hot topic in today's world, coaching, business coaching, coaches teaching you how to make the coaches who coach coaches who coach coaches who teach you how to make more money, right? Like there's a lot of... Um, there's a lot of fakeness. There's a lot of uh, charlatans. There's a lot of snake oil in the space. What what do you see from being on the inside of this, and how do you how do you approach showing up in that space? What I do see and looking at it more, especially very recently, is there are a lot of good coaches. That's one thing that I think is important for people to understand is like. The bad ones are the ones that are yelling in your face and that you think, you know, they're the ones that are representing what you think business coaching mm. and snake oil is, but there are really good coaches too. So I don't want that to be forgotten at the same time though, it, it has become, I mean, it's like the fitness industry. It's because it's, it's, a, it's an industry where there's zero barrier to entry. And all it is, is how good can you market and sell? Like that's all you really need to be successful or to at least be successful for a short period of time to, to get some success. Um, so what I see is a whole bunch of, um, a whole bunch of coaches that are essentially trying to replicate what a few coaches did to start. Right. So a few coaches who had built up these businesses like your John Romanellos and like, you know, Bedros Koulian, Craig Ballantyne, you know, they did it in a very different time. Right. And then you've got a whole bunch of these other coaches who are seeing an opportunity and they're just jumping on it because they're seeing that like, holy shit, everyone wants a business coach these days. I should jump in on the, on the trend as well. Mm -hmm. The problem with that is, is they haven't actually done the thing that they're helping people do. They haven't done it. So one of the biggest things that I find when I tell potential clients, my story that like, I was the one getting up at 5am, starting my car, freezing my ass off to drive to work and work till from 6.30am to 6.30pm with tons of breaks in between and basically living on coffee and takeout and having to be on all the time and not knowing where my next paycheck was coming from, they vibe with that because yeah. I've been where they are and I did what they want. Right. So right. I think, I think it's important when you're looking at the space that, you know, there are people who, who have done that, who have done it, who have, have walked the walk, but then unfortunately there are a whole bunch of people who haven't walked the walk and, and they're the ones that are just kind of like regurgitating the same information that every other business coach has regurgitated mm -hmm. since 2005. Yeah. I think that's great advice too, for anybody looking for a coach to check, to make sure that they've actually done what it is they're teaching. <laughs> 
I mean, I think it's pretty important like that you, I mean, would you ever hire a fitness coach who hadn't like done it themselves or who, who wasn't someone who like, who didn't like working out? Right. No, not like, I don't think that's a good idea. Yep. Yep. <laughs> you you got to walk the walk. Yep. And one of the things I love about, about your content and what you guys really stand for is, is that I, I feel this level of authenticity. I've been on one of my favorite follows on, on Instagram. A few, the, the little that I do consume content, I always, I was like checking up on, uh, Thank you. <laughs> checking up on you. Uh, but it seems like there's an authenticity and there's almost like a, um, I think you do a really good job of just like calling it out and really kind of cutting through the tactics and the marketing and the BS and just, being real and straight shooter. Is that something you intentionally do? Thank you for that. Cause it yeah. is, uh, well, it's something that I'm intentionally striving for. And, and, you know, I will, I will give full credit where it's due that we have someone who helps me a lot with our content. Lindsay is, uh, she's our head copy and content coach. And shout, she out helps Lindsay. Me. shout out Lindsay. She's, she's a gem. Um, but that was the biggest thing is like, <clears throat> When I look at, okay, what's everyone else doing? Everyone else is, is, is spitting tactics and tools and strategies at you because they think that's what you want, right? If you're a fitness coach and you don't know how to grow your business, every coach that I've ever talked to wants more exposure, right? They want more people to follow them. They want more people to know who they are and what they do. So all the business coaches are like, well, you need this tactic. You need this tool. You need this strategy, this sales script, this thing. I know because my first two business coaches before I joined with you guys, Xander, my first two business coaches gave me all those strategies. John Romanello was a, a million dollar, he got a million dollar advance to write a New York Times bestselling book. He could write and he could copyright. I knew how to write, I knew how to sell, I knew what content was supposed to be, I knew about my ideal client, all this kind of stuff yet it still wasn't clicking for me. Why wasn't it clicking? Because I had no clue. I had no belief in myself. My mindset was totally messed up. I was running on ego. My subconscious beliefs were blocking everything that I wanted. And I just, I didn't know how to actually get my mental space and my mindset working with me instead of against me. So I know you can have all the strategies and tools and tactics that you want, but what's going to make the change is when you when you take the leap of faith and you finally decide to change your mindset. That's what's going to give you success. Drop the mic on that one. That's great. Drop it, baby. <laughs> so what what role has that played continuously for you in your journey in in your 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 success, your mindset, your belief system? Uh, it's changed everything. It's, it's shifted everything. I, I always, I think every athlete says this, but like, if I knew this shit when I was playing, man, I think it'd be a different ball game, but, um, what it's changed. I mean, it's allowed me to be a better husband, first of all, which I think is one of the most important things. Like it's allowed me to show up for my relationships better. So my friends, my family, my wife, like that's, it's one of the the nice little perks of, of doing a lot of mindset work for your business is that you uh, kind of become a better person too. Um, an accidental so, symptom, a, a little bit of a oops. side effect, <laughs> <laughs> so I'm a better guy too. Um, 
it's allowed me to get to know myself. And, you know, I talk about that kind of mask that I put on as that hockey identity. It's allowed me to take that mask off and really show up as my authentic self, um, which again is a force multiplier of everything, right? I was, I was unknowingly showing up as someone that I actually wasn't. And that didn't, that didn't help anything, you know, trying to be someone that I wasn't. Um, but in terms of like on the business front, um, it's allowed me to actually grow and learn and actually get move past those sticking points that I kept getting hung up on. Right. I kept saying, yeah, I want to make six figures. You know, I want to, I want to impact all these people yet. I kept getting stuck at these same, like say six, $7,000 months when I was like, but consciously I want this thing. But when I really dug in for that in particular, the money mindset, I grew up in a very middle-class family and, and a lot of rich people, so to speak, were frowned upon. I mean, if you don't like rich people, how are you going to become one? Like, it's just a simple, like a, a subconscious belief that I never really knew that I was carrying around in my back pocket the whole time that was just holding me back. So I think the, in terms of business, it was just diving into like the subconscious beliefs that are holding me back from success that I don't, that we're often not even aware of. Like that's, that was the biggest thing. And it allowed me like, this is what personal growth is. This is what learning really is, is like doing something out of your comfort zone, figuring out why it didn't work as well as you had hoped that it would. And then doing the work on that, on that piece of your mindset or that part of yourself to allow you to grow and be able to do that thing next time you try. Absolutely. Well, how do you, how do you stay so, how do you stay committed to the growth, to the process? Like that's something that, that I'm always very inspired by you is someone who like you're committed, you're, you're committed to doing the work and to putting the work in. How do you stay committed to that? Even when the going gets tough? I think the number one way is I make sure that I have accountability. Um, I have, I have a coach always like I, since, since I hired Roman in 2016, I've never not had a coach. Mm -hmm. So I always will have someone or, or some form of a mentor. That's like a formal agreement that this will be like, I will hold you accountable and I will be an asshole if I have to be, you right. know, I'll right. tell you what you need to hear. So that's the first thing is holding myself accountable. Um, the other thing is just like, I've fallen in love with it. I mean, I've, I've, I've fallen in love with the, the positive feedback that I get um, myself. Like I, 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 I feel better. I feel happier. Um, I know I get positive feedback from the people in my life who love me the most, my wife, my friends, my family, I, I get, and, and then I get positive feedback in the form of like, my business is growing. So I think that like, the feedback piece and, and, and also like looking for that feedback too. So like a lot of people will say, well, I, I don't, you know, I, I don't know if it's working, but it's like, well, okay. Like six months ago you were making this much and now you're making this much or six months ago, you were totally unhappy. And now you're, you know, you're waking up and springing out of bed every day. That's a piece of feedback that you should probably be taking and, and see that like, that's, that's, that is the thing. It's working. 
Um, and, and then the, I think the other piece to that is like, I am constantly getting into conversations and putting myself in positions with people who are at or above this level that I'm at. Like I'm constantly surrounding myself. I guess this is the network is your net worth type of a conversation, but I'm constantly mm -hmm. surrounding myself and getting myself into conversations with people who are doing the damn thing, you know? Big time, big time. That's great. Those, those three things, if I can regurgitate that, because I think that's really poignant as I'm taking notes over here, the first thing being uh, coaches and accountability and mentors and people that can tell you what you need to hear, not even if it's not what you want to hear necessarily. That's definitely important. And the second thing being falling in love with the process and being in love with the, the process of it and seeing the evidence to support the fact that the work is working and mm -hmm. uh, and propelling you forward in that way. And then third is surrounding yourself with the right people that are gonna continuously be around you and to have the right conversations and to 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 have that that voice when you need it the most. Is that 100%. it, those three? A hundred percent, yeah, that's it. That's, that's the great. formula, man. That's the formula. <laughs> I like it. So <laughs> what advice do you have to someone who is, you know, in their process, looking to own more of their authenticity, looking to shift away from people pleasing and focus more on making themselves a priority? Oh, that's a great question. Um, the, the way that I did it was I, you know, I was very unaware. So self-awareness is, is what I needed at the time. And I think a lot of people, I still need more self-awareness. It's a, it's a constant thing, but I started just digging into like, who am I? Like starting to ask the question, like, who am I? So, uh, what do I stand for? What will I not stand for? Essentially a core values conversation. What are the core values that I live by? Even like, I didn't even know I had to, when I, when I was first doing this, I had to call a friend who I knew had been doing some of this work and be like, what, how do I find my core values? Like, what do mm -hmm. I, what do I do? And he's like, well, um, you know, what's important to you, but also like what pisses you off, you know, think of the opposite of that, right? Like what pisses you off? Well, what pisses me off is when people say they're going to do something and then don't do it. Okay. Then a core value would probably be your word, you know, making sure that you stand by your word kind of makes sense. So I went through this process of just like asking the question, like, who am I, what do I stand for? And, and, and then taking it a step further, like, um, where were the times in my life, especially in my childhood where like, I felt totally happy and totally free. And this is, uh, our, our, our friend, uh, Brooke Ritchie dug into this with me a little bit of like, where were those times where like, you can, you can sit back and remember like how much fun you were having and like, how can you do more of that? Right. Like that. And then also like, how can you step into that? Like I realized that it was when I was alone and drawing and that was like freedom mm -hmm. for me and it was just being creative and you know, I realized pretty quickly that like, okay, like it wasn't when I was on the hockey rink playing hockey, 
okay, well, maybe that hockey identity then is not my highest self or my most authentic self. It's probably more like the nerd who just like is a kid and wants like adventure and is like drawing adventures and, and all these kind of crazy things and creating sports teams and creating logos and creating stories behind it, like building these things in my imagination, like, okay, like we're onto something. So I think like, honestly, like if you're looking to become a more authentic version or really step into this whole piece of like, who am I is like, just start asking yourself questions and pulling the thread. Mm. That's, that's probably the best piece of advice I can give. That's great. Because, and the brilliant part about that is that you, you know, the answers. And I love that because you are your best coach at the end of the day. So you have the answers within you. The value is in posing the question and stopping mm. imposing the question. That is the awareness. And then the answers will come in time whenever they do. But that, that exercise of posing the questions, I think is, is a quite valuable one. Yeah. Who is it who says the most successful people are the ones who ask the best questions? Yeah. Love that. Can't remember who it is, but it's a it's a great it's a great quote, and you always kind of sit there and go, okay, well, what question do I need to ask? Right. Either right. myself or my client or whatever it is. This is uh this is awesome, man. Um, for for Gavin, what's next? What's next for Gavin? Oh, what's next for Gavin is is um, I've really been uh hit lately with this idea that, you know, new levels, new devils, uh, every time that you want to get to the next level, or every time you hit a new level, uh, there's going to be a new challenge. Um, and that challenge for me is really stepping into my authentic self. Um, and not being afraid to, you know, to get a little bit of hate coming back. Um, cause it's going to happen. Um, but stepping into my most authentic self, stepping into me and really like you've, you've mentioned this to me before, just like, if I am willing to get out of my comfort zone enough and do that scary thing, I am going to open the door for others to be able to do that. And this is where it comes down to kind of my new, this newfound uh, life purpose of mine of connecting other humans to their highest potential. Right. And so many people, you mentioned this on my podcast, are afraid of what they can actually become because it's unknown. And I honestly think that's why so many people are afraid of it, simply because it's unknown. And if you can just kind of start to take the steps towards that, you can realize that you know, you're going to become very uh, familiar with that person and with that highest self, and it's going to be a hell of a lot of fun getting to that place. So I think what's next for me is finding, first of all, finding it in myself to take that next step and to really step into this in a real way, but then also finding a way to help guide others on a larger scale, whether that be through our business, through the Maverick Coaching Academy with coaches and therapists, or whether that be through, I, I want to, I, I got the opportunity to be a part of like a possible book today or writing my own book, um, or speaking when this whole COVID thing is over, um, really finding ways that I can reach more people so that I can give them, like, I'll be the first to say, if I can do this work and get to this place from where I was getting punched in the face on new year's Eve, when I was 18 years old, an absolute shithead who didn't know anything. 
if I can do this, anybody can. Like anybody can. So to be able to to reach those people who just are existing and aren't happy and and know there's more out there for them, that's really where I want to go next. Love it, man. Super, super great stuff. And uh, yeah, that's that's very, very inspiring to me. So Gavin, thank you, brother. This is, I feel like we're just getting into the combo now and scratching the surface, but an hour flies by pretty quickly when you're having fun. So that's why we we're will, doing the live one. That's time. right. That's right. Yeah. This is the precursor. So now there's a, there's the, everybody has the background, the backstory on Gavin. That way yep. when we go in person, we can, we can dive off the deep end together and, uh, and, and continue the conversation. Um, <laughs> any, anything that you want to share with the listeners as we part here? Oh man. Um, don't be afraid to step into who you are and, and don't be, you know, don't let those fears hold you back from, from doing that scary thing. Cause, um, I think Joshua and I can both tell you that it's scary as hell to take that leap, but in the words of the great Joshua church, jump in the net shall appear. Awesome. Jump in the net shall appear on that beautiful note. Gavin, thank you, brother. So much love thank to you. you. Keep doing all the epic things. It's, it's an honor to be on this journey with you and uh, excited for whenever we do get in person together. Me too, man. Thanks again. All right, brother.